Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy. I believe that we are all so much more powerful than we can possibly understand. My goal with these conversations is to introduce you to brave, vulnerable people who are finding and owning their awesome. My guests are leaning into what makes them unique and sharing that uniqueness with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you to break free from whatever is holding you back and to step into your own greatness. Hey, magical humans, I've got a great episode for you today. But first, I wanted to tell you about something I've been working on in the background. It's called the Up Level with Ease Sisterhood, and it's a group coaching experience that I'm going to do with an intimate group of women. That means I'm limiting the number of people that are going to be in the group because I want to foster a real sense of sisterhood where we will support each other to help each other grow and sparkle. We'll dive into feminine energy of ease and flow, and we will up-level our lives in every way, personally, in relationships, in our businesses, in our sport, wherever you want it. If you feel called to join this experience or are curious and want to learn more, message me ASAP. I'll tell you all the details and reserve your spot. Now, enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My guest today is the one and only Rachel Wright. She's a psychotherapist and therapeutic relationship coach. And I'm sure you've heard her name because she's talking about sex everywhere these days. (laughs) So welcome, Rachel. Thank you. I am so honored to be here. Just like, just so, so, so honored. I'm so excited. We've been trying to do this for a long time. It's true. We're finally doing it. Ditto. Ditto. It's, uh, I'm definitely a believer in divine timing. So it was supposed to be today. And this exactly. is a beautiful thing. It is. And it's going to be perfect wherever we end up going. Exactly. But let's talk about, let's start with the fact that you're a sex educator, sex therapist. You're talking about sex. I How do. did that happen? I like, talk did, about sex a lot. Did you, when you were a little kid, were you like, I want to talk about sex when I grow up? Kinda. <laughs> I was <laughs> please explain. Yes, you're like no more than that. I was a very curious child. Um I wanted to know why things happened. I wanted to know why people did things and I really loved entertaining people. And for a very long time I thought that those were two separate things. I thought that I was going to either have to be a performer or I was going to go and be a therapist. Um, and I'm very lucky. My parents put me into therapy when I was 14. They found out that I had had sex. I was very young when I lost my virginity. Well, 14, I get, it's young. It's not like very young, but it's, it's young. Um, I was lucky enough to have a very lovely boyfriend who I loved. It was like, literally couldn't go any better. Um, but they found out I didn't tell them. So they shoved me in therapy to make sure that I was okay. And it's honestly the best thing they ever did because I left that first session being like, I want to do this. I felt so seen and heard and accepted and really loved by this woman in just one session. And I kind of combined along the way all of my curiosities and questions. And after going through many psychology classes, 
realized that the ones that I loved the most were human sexuality and relationships and anxiety and the things that kind of all go together which I did not understand again at the time, like 18, 19 in college, I was not connecting dots yet. But now as I stand here, I can definitely turn around and say, oh, oh yeah, okay, that tracks. Like that, that makes sense. What? And, yeah. what fascinated you about all those things? I wanted to know why. I was that kid who, you know, hey, go do this, why? And it wasn't that I didn't want to do it. I wasn't trying to be stubborn. I, I wanted to go do what I was being asked to do. I am a recovering people pleaser now. So I was definitely a people pleaser as a, as a child. And I wanted to do the things, but I wanted to understand the reason behind it. And lucky enough, my mom had this rule in our home that she would always answer why, but only one time. So we could not go down the, but why? but why, but why spiral? <laughs> so it was like a, it was a very nice container that I knew I could always ask. Um, but sometimes she didn't have the answer because you know, she's human. And I was fascinated, especially when she didn't have the answer. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to know why people got divorced. I wanted to know why some of my friends could shower with their parents and some, it was like, don't come in the bathroom. Mom is showering. Like I didn't understand these differences between families and it fascinated me as a kid. I was always that person that's like, does it feel good when you slide down your parents' bed? Like, (laughs) cause I slid off my parents' bed the other day and it was really good. Like I remember having that conversation at like five years old with my friend. I'm so fascinated by this because I was also the kid that asked why so much that my parents eventually bought me a book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which was a passive aggressive way of saying stop asking why yeah um but i wasn't fascinated about i wasn't fascinated with relationships so much i was fascinated more with one what was happening in people's heads i really wanted to know what everyone was thinking and i wanted to know what every animal was doing and why <gasps> oh yeah that's really cool that's awesome hence yeah, my detour I- into biology I love, and that makes so much sense. I was never called to animals. It, that's, it is so interesting. This is why like truly we are all called. I love Amber Lillystrom, our mutual friend uh, says, you know, if the dream is in it, in you, it's for you. Yeah. And I truly believe that because, you know, you look at, we were both very curious children and yet that curiosity was displayed in two very different areas. Mm-hmm. And I was so fascinated with human behavior like so fascinated. My old diaries as a little girl are notes on what other people were doing. And then like my thought process around it. That's fascinating. Yeah. I love (laughs) like, uh, do you remember that movie that came out? I was a little old for the demographic when it came out, but it was the, um, Oh, Harriet, the spy. I I was going to ask you, I read the book. Yes. I never saw the movie, but I, I read the book. Loved the book, loved the movie. Loved that book. Yeah. Yes, I too. I wasn't taking notes that I remember. It was all, it was all in my head. See, I can't hold that much stuff. Now I can, but when I was a kid, I could not. Thank you, therapy school. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I knew, I remember being so amazed as a little kid that other people weren't noticing all these things. Yes. Wait, as an adult, let me correct that. I'm still amazed. (laughs) (laughs) No, 
Oh, totally. And it, it, what also amazes me is that there are not more adults asking why. Mm. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but a lot of it, you know, I constantly hear like, I'll be riding the subway here in New York and I hear a kid, you know, why can't I stand right here, mom? And she says, because I said so. Yeah. And there's just this blind submission to the authority. And it's so, it, it is not a good thing in the general scheme of life because we just don't question things anymore. Yeah. Um, that actually makes me think of Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies. Are yes. you familiar with those? Semi, semi. Okay, I haven't so read the book yet. I haven't read the book yet either, but I've heard of her on a few podcasts and I've done the quiz and I'm a solid questioner. So it's the four tendencies are obliger, upholder, questioner, and rebel. Mm. So, okay. I hope I have this right. Um, well, I know a a rebel won't, it's all about how you respond to internal and external expectations. So a rebel won't do anything for internal or external expectations. And a questioner will do anything for an internal expectation. But when it comes to an external expectation, the way I understand it is I need to turn it into an internal expectation. Like I ask questions until you find your motivation. Yeah. Until it's mine. An obliger will do anything for external expectations, but not internal. And an upholder will do anything for any expectations. Interesting. I would guess I'm the last one, but I was probably an obliger for my whole life up until like a year and a half ago. (laughs) I hear that so much that I used to be an obliger. Yeah. Recovering people pleaser. Yeah. There's, there's a book by um, Harriet Breaker called The Disease to Please. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly say that at 19 years old, when that book came into my life, it, it changed my life. How so? Um, it's interesting. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, actually. I love making people happy. I love bringing people joy. I love seeing people smile. I love helping make people's dreams come true. Like, I just love it. And I think that, you know, obviously in moderation, that's perfectly fine. But it, it got to a point where I would make other people happy at the cost of me being happy and of my health and my wellness. And that's when, you know, it really crosses into this dangerous zone. And then this resentment builds up and you're like, why do I not like this person anymore? And it has nothing to do with them. So that, that book, I've read it probably seven times because at different wow. points in my life, it's really meant something different to me. You know, when I was 19, the way that I was people pleasing looks very different than what it was when I was 29. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important to recognize because I used to think like, oh, I'm not a people pleaser. Like, I just, I don't care what other people think, like that I've gotten to that point. And then I'm like, oh, where it's showing up is when I make a commitment to somebody, I will not break it. I will like fight myself and I'll like try my best to manifest them breaking the commitment if I don't want to (laughs) go. But when I commit to something, yeah, I people please my way into like, I promised, promised I'd do it interesting. When I think a lot of us get stuck in that, it, I used to be the exact same way. If I said I was going to be somewhere at some time, I'd show up like haggard, ill, 
yeah. I, I'm here. Like I made it. And they're like, yeah. why are you here? Please yeah. go home. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I, don't, I mean, yeah, I'm totally, I'm working through that. I think I'm now, you know, now that you see it. Yes. It, once well, you see it, is. it's so like, you see the ridiculousness of this human thing. 100%. Oh. And awareness is the first part. Like a lot of my clients that I'll work with, it, they're amazed at how much just the awareness of something will shift. And it's a lot of people, and myself included, when I say people and collective people. Yeah, you're a people. Yes, I'm a people. We look for, you know, we, we just look for things to be the same. We look for evidence to support our own beliefs. And it can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And we do that in positive and negative directions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No question. And sometimes it's fabulous. And then other times it's, it can be a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're all basically super sleuths. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and I think we get stuck in like, okay, I noticed it, but now how do I change it? And there needs to be some time that we like kind of sit in that awareness and really see where else it's coming up mm-hmm. before we start to try to modify. But I think that that's the go-to is like, okay, I noticed I'm doing the thing. Like now tell me how to fix it. Yeah. It's like, well, let's take a breath <laughs> and let's start to look at where else it's coming up so that we can get the full picture before we go in and do surgery. Yeah. And actually my first memory of really figuring this whole thing out, the awareness, like how important the awareness was and then how important the acceptance was and that that was a separate step was when I had a stress fracture and it was, I was just in excruciating pain and nothing changed when I was diagnosed with a stress fracture, but I was in so, I I couldn't accept it until that diagnosis and then I accepted it. Then I grieved. Then I got through it. And then yeah. I healed. But I was in like, I was very much aware of the pain, but in like staunch denial that it was anything more than just, oh, maybe it's referred pain that doesn't matter. I don't even know what the story was I had. Right. Well, and sometimes we don't. Like it's yes. sometimes they're so deeply ingrained in our brains and in our neuropathways. I like to call neuropathways freeways with my oh, clients. That's what I call them too. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. I say we can take the highway and then let's start taking the construction road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so we'll talk about how, you know, if you've taken the same way to work on the same freeway, it's going to be very smooth and well-paved, but like, you're going to have to take this new road and it's going to be bumpy because you've never driven on it before. Yeah. That's amazing. What I say too. It's going to be bumpy. It's going to be messy. It's going to be twisty and turning. It's probably going to take a whole lot longer. Yep. And you have to pay so much more attention because you yes. don't know where the rocks are. You don't know if there's a pothole. Yep. You've never driven on it before. And there might be a new detour too. Yep. 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 <laughs> Analogies to me are so um, powerful around understanding human behavior. Because if we start talking, again, collectively, if we start talking about you know neuroscience and people like me might get very interested, but like the majority of people are going to completely tune out. Even if we're not aware of it, like for example, if somebody starts talking about football, I'm gone. Like I'm out. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I'm so I'll be like nodding. 
along in the conversation, but like, I am not comprehending what they're saying. And I feel like that happens a lot when we go into either science babble or psycho babble or really anything around that. It's if we can put it into day-to-day terms, it makes it so much easier for our brain to just comprehend and wrap our head around. Yeah. I was thinking about that recently as I was thinking about like all my years of like neuroscience classes and still if you start talking about a specific part of the brain, I'm kind of going to tune out. But if we talk about what it does and I'm all in. Yes. But like, if you just start ranting about the amygdala, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And we all have our things. And I think that that's why it's so important to remember that not every therapist or not every coach is going to be a good fit for you. Because I know, you know, with some clients, like I'll use an analogy on a, on a consultation call and they're like, wait, a freeway. And like, I know in that moment that I need to find them somebody who is going to speak using those scientific terms and that that's better for them, that it doesn't make me wrong. It doesn't make what I do bad, but it's just, we're all different and we need to find that person that can help us and speak our language. I saw this great quote today and I can't remember it exactly, but it was like, may you find people that understand your soul language mm. so you don't spend all your life translating. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I, I don't think I got a hundred percent right, but. Well, it's still beautiful. But, but when like you and I speak the same language, I hope the yeah. listeners are jiving with this language. <laughs> <laughs> If you're not, you're probably not our people anyway. So yeah, probably. But like when you find somebody that you can like totally geek out about anything on, that's pretty amazing. Like you feel like you're home, like the flow, conversation just flows, energy flows. That's the magic. Yes. And I think that we forget again, wow, I use we a lot. This is very interesting. I'm noticing this. (laughs) I think that, you know, I know when I was dating before I met Kyle, that was something that I was very aware of, but I stopped being aware of it with girlfriends for a while. And that's so fascinating because really it's the same thing. Like if I'm going to invest time and energy into a friendship, that's a relationship. The biggest difference is it's not sexual. That's really it. Like there's, there's not a lot of difference. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's really important that we find, you know, we date for lack of a better word, our friends until we figure out who those people are that, that do speak to our soul's language and that can just be with us. It's, it's the person that you can just as easily have a conversation like this with and just talk for hours or sit in complete silence and be totally comfortable. Yes. They tend to be the same, at least for me, they've tend to be the same people. Yeah, me too. And I think like, I'm always super excited when I meet somebody who so much doesn't speak my soul language, because I'm like, oh, thank you for making that so easy for me. <laughs> I had this experience when we, when we were traveling in the camper, um, I met this woman, I was coming back from our run and I met this woman who was like, she asked me what I did for work. I said, I was a confidence coach. She then proceeded to tell me that she doesn't believe that's all a bunch of hooey and like, she doesn't believe in it. And then she was like, and, and so why are you running? I was like, I'm a triathlete. And she then told me that um, exercising was just going to destroy my knees and my whole body. 
And, right. <laughs> and I was just like, I think I was smiling the whole time because I was just like, oh my God, you're so not my person. Yeah. <laughs> May you have a wonderful life. Exactly. Exactly. And that's just as beautiful as finding someone who is because yeah. it's, a, it's a clean no. You're yeah. like, okay, I, nope. Good, good. Have happy trails. Exactly. Yeah. Go, go on your way and make space for the people who will, will find that flow together. Totally. And I think that that, you know, to circle it back to people pleasing, like when we're younger, especially when we're younger, it can be really easy to try to chameleon yeah. and, you know, with this woman, for example, be like, yeah, I know I do question how it's going to hurt my knees. And, you know, yeah, some people do call it hooey, but I, you know, and, and kind of give that more energy because it's so uncomfortable to be not disliked, but like not seen in that way. Like we want to prove ourselves as younger people, especially, but I think that that's such an important sign of maturity and emotional, uh, happiness yeah. is to just be able to say, this is me and that's you and our, my me and your you do not go together. And that is perfectly okay. And I remember, I can't think of any specific um, conversations where I was a chameleon, but I remember the feel, yeah, feeling of yeah. that and like walking away being like, why did I just see that? Yes. What just happened? It was like something else took over my body. Yeah. And I swear it's the disease to please. Like, mm -hmm. I really, I've seen it so many times, so many times in myself, in clients, in family members, in other people, you know, and it's really funny too. Well, it's not funny. I mean, it's kind of funny when you watch someone that you know doing that in the moment and you're watching this person have a conversation. It's like, that's what the they do not like that. What yeah. they say? It's very interesting. And we, we have this need to be liked as humans. And it's okay to not be. It, it is okay to, be, to not be liked. There are millions of humans in this, billions of humans in this world. Yeah. And what would you do if they all loved you? If they all liked you? Right? Like, it would be very smothering. It would be. It would be too much. Yeah. We need differences. So how do you help your clients stop the people pleasing? Oh, my gosh. So many different ways. So I usually start... This is a very specific like segment of people that I work with. And I really do think that energetically, because I went through almost like sobriety, because I went through it, I really do feel that I will attract because it's nowhere in our business messaging. Like nowhere on our website does it talk about people pleasing. We have a masterclass on it, but like there's nothing that would lead someone to believe that that is what I do. And yet... <laughs> in my inbox will be a consultation form with, I need to work on people pleasing. And it's just this weird energetic thing. Yep. The, the first thing that I work with them on is the word should. And I have them start paying attention and depending on the person, sometimes even tracking, how often is this word coming out of their mouths and how often is it coming up in their minds? And what's astonishing, and I, I actually would challenge anybody listening to do this because it's, it's a very interesting exercise to see how often this word comes up. Typically, the more anxiety somebody has, the more it's coming up. 
Mm. Yeah, there's definitely, and don't, there's no, I haven't seen a research study that correlates those two. So definitely like anecdotal through my experience, but there's, I have seen a huge correlation between those two. So we start tracking, right? So it should really implies like this external, like, so we'll use working out, you know, I, I should be working out right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you want to work out right now? Do you not want to, but you want to like, what is actually going on? Cause I should takes the responsibility out of you. Yep. So this, this word really permeates in everything that we do. And it actually, like, it's kind of a running joke now in my family. Cause if I'm around and someone uses the word should, they look at me and they're like, I'm sorry. <laughs> the same <laughs> thing happens in my family and people try and do a workaround. Yes. Which is really, so we were, before we hit record, we were talking about how fascinating people are. Yeah. And I get so fascinated by watching people fumble and come up with like, I have to. And then I don't know. They kind of look to me and I'm like, yep. No, yep. <laughs> need to. And then I'll just like save them. What do you want? Yeah. What do you want? Exactly. And it's so empowering to say, I want to go work out and I'm feeling tired so I'm making the choice to rest today. Yes. Instead of resting and then saying, oh, I should totally be working out. It's like, all that is, is shaming yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it, it's awful. It really builds on itself. And we start treating ourselves like ass. It's super heavy. Like yeah. when we're shitting all ourselves all the time, like, like how, I feel like if we cover ourselves in shoulds, how do you know what you want? Exactly. When was the last time you actually knew what you wanted? If you're just doing what you feel like you should, should be doing. Right. Right. And the, the worst form of it is, and this is what they, my clients also track is how often are other people saying it to you? So if you, are you surrounding yourself with people in your life that are having this narrative of, you know, you should really blah, 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 or, oh no, you should not be doing that. Like, who are you listening to? You know, what podcasts, even, you know, you're listening to a podcast and the host is, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. And you should do that. That is going to subconsciously start to be how you speak. Mm -hmm. So that's the other side of it is, is tracking the should, but really from all of the areas that it's coming. And I think that one of the biggest shocking moments for people is when they realize how often this word is coming up. It's massive. It is. Yes. I, um, I've told people like you can start a swear jar, like for shoulds. Yes. Whatever it is. Gotta break that habit. It's an have to is the same thing. Must is the same thing. I love like we have a, our old podcast had an episode called stop shooting and masturbating on yourself. <laughs> and it has the highest amount of downloads because I'm pretty sure people click on it. And then they're like, Oh, this is not what I thought. <laughs> I misread the title, <laughs> but it's true. Like we don't use the word must as much in our current iteration of language. Yeah. But Albert Ellis, who like coined these terms back in the twenties, must was the word for should and have to. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had a few people be like, I shall. I'm like, no. <laughs> <I> shall. <laughs> uh, well, and I think so often, like we're unaware of what we're saying. 
I really yes. do. I, I just think that we check out and we just become unconscious. And that's what I love about my job. I mean, one of the things that I love about my job is I get to hear these contradictions and these inconsistencies and lovingly call somebody out on it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a powerful experience. And I, I only know that because I've been through therapy myself many years and years and years and years. And it's to have someone say, wait a minute, wait, 10 minutes ago, you just said this, that, that doesn't make sense with what you just said. Mm-hmm. Like we can't do that for ourselves. We literally can't. We're one of my mentors, my favorite men in the whole world. His name's Todd Herman. And he talks about one of the things that he said is you can't read the label from inside the bottle. And it's so true. Like every time I hear that, I just picture myself like in a salad dressing bottle, like, ah, I'm stuck in here, but you can't, like, you cannot read what's inside when you're in it. It's impossible. Exactly. I just posted about that. I've heard it as you can't read the label from inside the jar. I actually think like of a big jar of like applesauce. Oh, see, yours is much more comfortable. I'm in like a tiny new. I got more space. Like, yeah. Like the Austin Powers, like this is me in a nutshell. Yeah. I can spread out in that jar. Yeah. I can like reach the sides. I'm not. See, that's amazing. I'm like, like what is it? (laughs) Contortionist. Yeah. I'm like contorted into it. Yeah. Not a company. No. No, but either way, we can't leave the (laughs) label from inside. You need somebody on the outside to read the label. Exactly. And to call you on your language because words matter. Yes. And more than we think, like Mm -hmm. there are so many studies and this is another thing. I'm going to just keep ranting. Apparently, Gelsie. Please. I like it. When I will, especially with family members or friends, if I ever notice something, I will gently, you know, Hey, like that was a lot of shoulds in one sentence. And they're like, Oh, stop picking apart what I'm saying. And it's, it's so not about me picking apart what someone else is saying. And it's about bringing attention to the fact that our words change our brain chemistry. And I think that a lot of people don't know that. And that's honestly not their fault. This research is held behind, you know, you have to get a certain master's degree in a certain subject to have access to this. And it's really stupid and the system sucks, but (laughs) there are people out there who can help. And these studies link language to different brain chemistry and what we say, whether it's out loud or to ourselves, it changes things. And so it's not about nitpicking or being PC or whatever, like everybody says when, you know, somebody comments on your language, it's because your language affects everything, everything. It's our, it's our main way of communicating. Yeah. And it's happening all the time with the constant chatter in our minds. How many times we're shooting on ourselves? Yep. Yep. Like all the time. And how more, how much more empowering is it to say, I want to eat this cookie. So I'm going to eat this cookie and then enjoy the cookie instead of sitting, eating the cookie and being like, well, I should not be eating this cookie. Mm-hmm. Or even I shouldn't eat the cookie. Yes. Or so then change that to I want to eat the cookie and yep. my goals are super important to me. Yep. And therefore I'm deciding not to eat the cookie. Exactly. Exactly. It's so much more empowering. And I think that as a species of humans, we're not the best at taking self-responsibility. 
Mm-mm. And that there's a huge opportunity starting with our language in, in taking that responsibility. And this pops up in, in sexual health and sex relationships all the time too, because we don't want to say, I don't want to have sex tonight. We blame it on something else. We're like, oh no, I shouldn't do that because my back hurts and I have a headache. Like we, <laughs> it's so scary to just say, I don't want this. Yeah. Or I want this. Why is it so scary to want or not want? It's a great question. There is so much focus. I mean, we could probably answer that with a lot of different answers. From what I have read and experienced, we want to feel normal. And I say it like that because there's really no normal. Like there's typical, sure. Like if we're looking at a bell curve, there's definitely the majority of people but that doesn't mean that there's not a shit ton of people on the outside and that are on the outlier section. It's not zero. It's still a good amount of people, but we're, we're trained even as kids to fit in, to all look the same, to all talk the same. You know, if you look at people from one region, I went to high school in South Orange County in California that region looks, I did not look like the rest of the people looked at my high school. And at 16, I dyed my hair blonde. I know you guys can't see me. I'm a fiery redhead. I dyed my hair bleach blonde when I was 16 because everyone around me was blonde. And it was not a conscious choice of like, I want to look like everyone else. So I'm going, I thought I wanted it. I was like, I want blonde hair. No, I did not want blonde hair. I just wanted to look like everybody else because we crave that connection. We crave being part of a community and that can be a beautiful thing, but it's scary to want something that is not quote unquote mainstream. Yeah. I, as a little kid, um, wait, let's pause for a second to note that a hawk just landed right outside my window. Wow. Because everything is perfect here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, as a little kid, I hated my name because there was, I didn't know anyone named Kelsey. There were so many Sarah's and Julie's and Jessica's and Jennifer's. So I went through a phase of like, why can't I just have a normal name? See that word. Yep. Yeah. I've gotten through that. I'm glad. I love my name. (laughs) I love that no one else has it. How old were you when you? I think like maybe like eight. Okay. Yeah. I, I have a specific memory of like what parking lot I was, I was like waiting for my mom in the car uh-huh. and thinking about it then. Hmm. People also butchered it. Real? Kelsey? Mm-hmm. It was Kesley, Chelsea, um, Elsie. Wow, that's fascinating. It's like such a simple name. I know. It's pronounced as it's spelled. Yeah. Yeah, But we just want to fit in. We just want to be like everyone else. Exactly. What we're here to do is be different. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, when it comes to relationships and sex specifically, one of the biggest fears in general that we have as humans is being looked at like we're crazy or being rejected. 
And so I think that when it comes to intimacy and sexual intimacy specifically, it is scary. It is scarier than, you know, not wearing the same shoes as everybody else or like doing your hair differently. You're, you're coming to a person and saying like, here's this thing that is very sacred to me. And I want this thing that is different from the norm. Yeah. And risking hearing what you want, what now the percentage of time that that actually happens is so low, so low. Most people are so gracious to hear because we have this other assumption that people can read our minds, especially when it comes to sex. We're like, oh, no, 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 he knows what I want. Like, he doesn't even know what you want for dinner. How does he know what you want? This makes no sense to me. So th- the only way that they can know is if we share. And, you know, if you don't feel comfortable sharing with somebody, then maybe question why you're with them. Mm. Boom. Boom. I think also, like, how do we even know that something we want is not normal, quote unquote right. normal? Because are we talking about it? Are we having that conversation that's like, hey, I want this? Are we talking to other people about it? Right. Or asking friends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the other crazy thing is like, we don't talk about sex. Why? Like, why? I, I don't, I will never understand. I mean, well, I won't say that one day I may understand <laughs> as of right now, <laughs> I do not understand why this topic will wig the most grounded person out of their skin. Now I do understand if there has been a trauma, if there has been anything like that, I, that's totally get that if a person has had a very happy, healthy sex life and sexual experiences, I don't understand why we cannot talk about this. Is it cultural? Is it more in the States? It is more in the States, but it is all over too. Like it's definitely a higher thing here, but I've seen it all over. And even in, um, I think it's Sweden where they start sex ed at like five even there, there's a, a huge shame still. Huh. Yeah. I mean, not as high as here by any means, but it's, it's still significant. And it's, I, I, it's really interesting. And it, it, we do our kids a disservice by having it be so uncomfortable because the more uncomfortable you are as an adult, the more uncomfortable your child will be. And then it just continues on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah, that's the gift we're giving our children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So get comfortable, parents. <laughs> yeah, so what's your advice? How, how do you get people comfortable talking about sex? By talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> like literally. It's, I, so I had a client once who was so uncomfortable talking about sex. Like could not, would like get basically a lump in his throat to where like he couldn't, he could not speak the words. And so one of our sessions one day, I literally made him repeat after me. And for a solid 50 minutes, we went back and forth. Vagina, vagina, (laughs) breasts, breasts, clitoris, (laughs) clitoris. Like we, we went back and forth for so long. It was the full session. And that helped. 
like that helped get it started. And so it that like I know it seems really tedious to go through a list of body parts and sexual acts, but like sometimes that's where we have to start. The that the image I have just cracks me up. Did you have a list in front of you or were you just like I was doing going- it. Yeah, I was following my intuition with where kind of like his lines were based mm-hmm. on his tone of voice. Yeah. So after that session, he could open up more about it? Hmm? So after that session, he could talk more about sex? Yep. Yep. But the words that we did not use were still hard. Interesting. So it was like once it came out of his mouth, it, it's almost like muscle memory. Mm-hmm. You know, it begins to feel less uncomfortable the more you do it. And then you get used to saying it and used to talking about it. And then the whole other side of intimacy and dealing with that aspect. But but for him, it was specifically around talking about it. So he didn't have an issue connecting with his partner. It was just around like the actual act of speaking about sex. Which makes sense because our society is like, don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. Don't ask mm-hmm. questions about that. So-and-so yeah. will answer your questions. Even though we're all here because two people had sex. Exactly. <laughs> makes no sense. It is one of the like main things that, that make us, yeah, we all have this in common. And we have it in common with all the mammals. Yes. On this planet as well. And yet we'll watch like Animal Planet mm-hmm. and be like, oh, look. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, they're having, st-. you're like, yeah. Can we talk about humans now? No. No, absolutely not. No, that's scary. It's, it's unbelievable. And yet Pornhub, the, the porn website is right below Netflix in oh. terms of uses, uh, users. Okay. So it's not that people aren't thinking about sex. Oh, No. They're thinking about it. They're watching it. They're, you know, pleasuring themselves to it in whatever way they do. We're just not talking about it. And I think that part of the reason why porn consumption is so high is because we're not talking about it. Mm. You know, if that's the only outlet to go, then that's where you're going to go. So do you think it's people are going there to like figure stuff out? Yes. They have questions. Yes, which is terrifying because porn is meant for entertainment, not education. Yeah. Wait, does that mean there's room for something that would be educational? Uh, Like a porn video that's educational? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. But our culture would think that that's like the most horrendous (laughs) idea. And, And yet, you know, we go back to Masters and Johnson's work back in the day. We would not know how people orgasm if it were not for their research. Mm -hmm. But their research study was watching people have sex with wands and things inserted inside of them. And that's how we figured out how females orgasm. And yet now we're like, oh, watching people have sex in a lab, that's unethical. Well, how are we going to figure like more stuff out? Could you imagine a world where we didn't know that women could orgasm or what was going on? And this wasn't that long ago. No, this was in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Our, our world is so amazingly progressive in so many ways and technology is moving so quickly. And yet to say vagina is like, 
Let's pause for a moment. Every listeners, vagina. Vagina. <laughs> it rhymes with the Canadian city, Regina. Yeah, exactly. Which his name. There just actually this past year, there's a TV show I love uh, called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And it's a musical comedy show that talks about mental health and it's musical. So like, it's literally everything I love so, in one yeah, show. Yeah, it's made for you. Yeah, okay. like I'm pretty sure they just made it for me. Um, I'm that narcissistic. Uh, and they were the first network television show to say clitoris on TV. This happened this year. Well, 2018. This is fascinating. Like what, what is that? It's a body part. And they, they had to fight with the network to get it on TV. The word clitoris, like, why is that different than elbow? It's a clitoris, elbow. Clitoris is way more fun to say. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And it's way more fun to touch. Exactly. Well, I don't know. Funny bone. (laughs) <laughs> no, I do know. Um, Kelsey's like, let's find out right now. <laughs> let's <laughs> anyone get confused. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So we got to talk about it. Yep. And that's, that's really why I'm so passionate about the, you know, our, our company really has like three pillars and it's sex, mental health and relationships. And I'm so freaking passionate about just opening up the dialogue around sex because it's not with mental health. There's a lot of healing and education and with relationships, it's a lot of education and practice, but with sex, we have to start. So basically like we have to start with clitoris and not be, you know, not saying that with like, "Ah, you know, and even in school, you know, I remember playing the I think it was called like the penis game where like one person says penis and then like, you know, someone says it louder and then, you know, you're screaming penis. Exactly. Exactly. Like, yes, that's a fun game, but the reason why it's fun is because you're not supposed to be saying it. And that's part of the problem. Yeah. Who made these rules? I know. I know. And how are these rules any different than, like shitting on yourself. Exactly. Exactly. It's very interesting. The constraints that we've given ourselves around these things, especially as adults, like when you're a child or a teen, you know, you're, you're following what your parents say or what your hormones are telling you or, you know, whatever. But as adults, we can choose to operate differently. We, we have that choice. And yet we some of us don't want to be seen as the, the weirdo one, you know, for a long time. Like I, a lot of my friends in Orange County were conservative, shocking Orange County, California. Um, I was like the, you know, crazy redhead who started selling sex toys and, you know, loved talking about this stuff. And really at that point, I kind of liked it because I just knew other people didn't and I didn't understand why they didn't. So it was like kind of fun to razz them. But now it's so much more than that. What's your, what's your big mission? With, I'm still distracted by this hawk that's just like hanging out right outside the window. That's amazing. Um, and I think it's here for you. So whatever we're doing, we're changing the world right now. 
pretty, pretty incredible. I yeah. love it. My big mission, get rid of the stigma around working on your mental health, around working on your relationship and around talking about sex. Hmm. That's my big mission. What do you think will change in the world? This is a huge question. I'm sorry, but I want to know where you're going to go. What's going to change in the world when people get over that stigma? Everything. I think sexual crime will go down. I think drug addiction will go down. Um, so the drunk driving will go down. Fatalities will go down. Suicide rates will go down. There is so much stigma around all of this that we keep things inside and we can't express ourselves. And a thought or a feeling that gets trapped inside cannot go anywhere. Mm. It's going to stay there. It has to be expressed. And when we live in this tiny, you know, salad bottle where we can't see the dressing, <laughs> we can't see the label, it, it ends up being so toxic inside of there that we, we have to express ourselves. So I, I really think that if we can, I mean, it'll change the prison system. It will change everything. And I don't know if people are ready for that yet. Like, truth be told, I know I am. I know you are. And I know probably everyone listening to this is. But I, I do think that there are a lot of people who don't like change, period. Like, yeah. they don't even want to change their t-shirt color or... Yeah you know, not saying a word that is incredibly offensive to a group of people, let alone change this. So I think it's a, a long road ahead, but it's going to take more than just me. If I can be one set of footprints on this path, I'm, I'm all for it as long as the path is being made. How can the rest of us support you in your mission? Hmm? How can the rest of us support you in your mission? Oh, man, cheer us on. Talk about this stuff. Really. I mean, it's even on social media, I run this program called ladies and libidos and it's a, it's a group program for women to get in touch with their sex, sexuality, feel good in their body. I can't advertise for it on Facebook. That sucks Yeah, because Facebook says that you cannot advertise anything that basically has the word sex in it. So I got rid of that. They wouldn't let me advertise with the word orgasm in it. And yet they are advertising for different political parties that are against hate and all of these things. And yet we're talking about a pleasurable experience for a woman. And they're like, no, hard no. So talk to your kids, talk to your friends. If you see a Facebook post, and I know it sounds so little, but like if you see a Facebook post or an Instagram post that is about something like this, like it, leave a comment. Like the positive things on social media can go so much further than the negative. The problem is most people only take the time to comment when they're super passionate about something that's negative. Yeah. So if you see something that's positive, like say something and cheer it on. Yeah, that actually, that makes me think that we, as a, I'm talking the way you were using we earlier, we <laughs> humans, we, we're so in tune with our negative passion. 
and not so in tune with our positive passion. We're not so in tune with what we're cheering on, what we're celebrating, what we're super excited about in a positive way and and what sets our soul on fire. That's actually a question I've asked people before. Like what lights you up? What sets your soul on fire? And it's fascinating to me. People respond. Like so many people will respond with what makes them angry. And I'm like, no, what sets your soul on fire? Like, what are you passionate about? What, what are you here to do? But I'll get like people that don't move right away on a red light. Yeah. That's yeah. We just go towards the negative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if the longer we've been doing that, the more comfortable it feels. Mm. Again, the highway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So really trying to focus on the positive things in life. And right now life involves a lot of social media. I mean, we were talking about this before we hit record on this episode. Like there are so many positives that come with the negatives of social media. And one of the ways that we can make it even more positive is by posting positive things and liking and commenting something that is positive and that we like instead of just speaking up when we don't. Yeah. Yeah. You have the power. We all have the power with social media. A post can make somebody's day. Yep. Make somebody happy. It's so much easier than people pleasing. (laughs) Make someone smile right there. How powerful is that? It's so true. So true. And, and frankly, very important. And I think that we forget that aspect of it. Again, focusing on the negatives that social media has brought or could bring or whatever. Yeah, they're there. So let's focus on the positive side and give our energy to that because you focusing on why Facebook's headquarters or blah, 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 is not going to change anything. So either get off the platform or, (laughs) or post really positive stuff and like your friend's stuff and cheer people on. Yeah. We're all in this together. Exactly. Let's talk about sex, baby. Love it. And all other good things. Exactly. Exactly. Rachel, how can people learn more about you, hear more from you, talk about sex with you? Love it. Come play with me on Instagram. And we have, so first and foremost, Instagram is amazing. I think that Instagram is just the coolest platform. I really do look for the positives in it. And the fact that we can talk to each other face-to-face and message people who we don't know and just say, hey, I really liked what you posted. Thank you. I I think it's so cool. So reach out on there. Um, We also have- And watch her stories. (laughs) Your your story, you got your story game is strong. Thanks. I try to be as genuine as possible. And if that means rolling out of bed, then I just rolled out of bed. And if I'm all dolled up, then I'm all dolled up. We actually, we have a, a member hub Um, it's free to join and I will, I'll give you the link to post, but we have resources in there around sex, around communication and relationships around mental health, um, that you can literally access for free and just indulge in. So I, I would love to see you in there and yeah, I'm on Facebook too. I'm, I'm all the places. Okay. And we'll have all the links in the show notes. So just click on over there. One last question for you. Yeah. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? Mm. Okay. So I have the first thing that popped into my head, but then I have the second answer, which is actually the 
the scariest thing. Can I tell you both? Please. Okay. It's really interesting. The first thing that popped into my head was I was nine years old. (laughs) I was at summer camp and it was my first time sleeping away from home. And I had a fear of heights, like really severe fear of heights. And we had to do this like tower climbing thing and like the harness. And all of the other girls were like, get me up there. I'm going. And I was like sweating in the corner. I missed my mom. I hated everything about this thing. And I did it. I, I climbed it. And that for like, that just popped in my head. I have not thought about that memory in many, many, many years. Go little Rachel, go. I love (laughs) that. But the, I would say that the actual scariest thing I've ever done, um, was, and this is a story I'm happy to share another day, but on my wedding day, I had a panic attack and it had nothing to do with marrying Kyle, which is what some people thought, which was very frustrating. Um, it had nothing to do with that. But I had a panic attack and I, I did it anyway. I powdered my face <laughs> and grabbed my parents' arms and I walked down the aisle and I got married in front of 170 people. And it was so terrifying. And I know that some of you listening are probably like, okay, but if you've ever had a panic attack, that feeling afterwards, like you don't want to go be in front of people. You, you don't want to go do anything and talk about a choice. Like I knew what my priorities were and I was not going to allow my brain chemistry to mess up my, my marriage. You always have a choice. Yep. Always have a choice. That you're beautiful. I so just love you. you. Right back at you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing yourself with us and Thank your you wisdom. For me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, KelseyAbbott.com, and there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome. Awesome.